This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Uh, We all know we are all obsessed with true crime. And I don't even know if I want to put put this into true crime or really bad relationships or people making really stupid decisions. I don't know who else has watched The Tinder Swindler, but kind of obsessed. Join me are Felicity Morris and Bernadette Higgins, the directors, creators, producers of the giant hit Tinder Swindler. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hello. And you're joining us from London. Yes. That's right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, so many questions. So <laughs> many questions. How did you find the story of the Tinder Swindler? I mean, how did you, how, how, how did you find him? What, 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 tell me how this all started. Well, we came across the story actually because, as you see in the film, Cecilia goes to the press in Norway when she feels that the police aren't listening to her, that Simon's still out there and in all likelihood doing this to other women. She just thought, I need to get his face everywhere. I need to tell the world about what he's doing. So she went to the press in Norway and they did this incredible investigative piece kind of tracking him down. And when that was published, um, that sort of went viral and essentially was picked up by press all over the world. And that's how that's how we read about it. Because I was going to say, I doubt you're, you know, not, most people don't read, you know, Norwegian <laughs> newspapers. <laughs> what made you what made you realize this was a great story? Well, it just had all the markings of a, Hollywood movie to be honest with you kind of when we read the story it read like a film script like a thriller it wasn't like any other kind of catfishing or love fraud story that we'd ever heard before with all of the kind of the glamorous locations and the really luxurious dates and just the level of absolute deception both online and more importantly and more uniquely offline as well right because usually when there's a catfish the moment you meet the catfish that's when it's over Right. But obviously the moment these anyone met Simon, that's really when the whole theatre of the of the con began. So it just it just seemed to us um just like a really original story. Right. And by the way, title is brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. Who was standing in the shower when it hit them that this should be the title? It was the it was the newspaper in Norway, that's what they called their piece, the Tinder Swindler. And so, yeah, it's the, the perfect title. I mean, in, during the course of making the film, we obviously knew that it was punchy and snappy and that's what it should be called. But the way that we told the story, we almost didn't want the audience to know that he was a swindler at the start. Um, because then I think the audience is then sort of one step ahead of the women and what they're experiencing. And I think always with these kinds of crimes, there's the tendency, unfortunately, to think, oh, I wouldn't fall for that. I wouldn't do that. I would have spotted all the red flags. 
Um, and obviously we at home, we're watching, you know, people at home are watching it knowing he's a swindler, knowing he's the Tinder swindler. You know, certainly a, certainly a cheat is what you get from that. But um, I think that we've obviously found that, you know, it's really catchy. Loads of people have come to watch it and actually have been so surprised by the way that he does it and the kind of level of deception and just you know how how he works really how many women overall did he swindle i mean it's impossible to know to be honest with you certainly more than are featured in the film or even mentioned in the film we've spoken to a number of women um you know who didn't want to be identified and who didn't want to have their stories made public. I mean, I think we recently did a top, to was it 25 or 35 victims that we know of? Jesus, that's crazy. Um, but, you know, he's been operating for years, um, so there will be many, many more than that. I mean, there. speaking of the women, there was a lot of social media blowback on the, about, the, a lot of, about these women, saying, A, how could you fall for it? And B, you guys did make, I could see how people could say, look, you were, you were fishing for a rich guy and you got taken. How was that hard for you to watch these women get this kind of blowback because you, you became close with them in a way. Yeah. I mean, it was something that we talked about constantly during the making of the film, because certainly after the VG article came out, they did get a lot of abuse online and there wasn't much sympathy and there wasn't much compassion so it was really important to us in the telling of the their story in the film that we really helped the audience understand just how many red flags there were not that weren't that weren't really to be seen. You know, like we mentioned before, it was a very immersive experience. I mean, with regards to them looking for a rich man, we kind of came to the conclusion that you know everyone would marry would rather marry a prince than a pauper. So, you right. know, and it wasn't like they were only attracted to him because of his wealth. They met him and he is such an attentive person. And I think that's what women really fall in love with. And it's not the, it's not something that we could really go into in much depth in the film because it was really important to us that we kept it propulsive. Right. We really, we drew attention to the huge romantic gestures. But actually, what the women really fell in love with was the boyfriend experience that Simon provided them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had all of their WhatsApps and the majority of their relationships with Simon, for all of them, happened on, on WhatsApp. Right. So, yeah, we talk about the private jet and we talk about the roses and the five-star dinners. But actually, what the women fell in love with were these constant text messages coming in, asking how they were doing. You know, you said you had a headache this morning. Did, did you get some medication? Or how did that work meeting go that you were nervous about? That's what women and what the women in our film really fell in love with. It was that feeling of somebody caring about them, you know, mm -hmm. asking how their day had gone and asking how they were feeling. You know, the, 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 the wealth was certainly a cherry on top, but it wasn't what they fell in love with. Right. I mean, I thought you guys were very um, even handed with that and very gentle with the women because of everything you said to really take that leap that it was about the attention. But I got to say, First of all, who gives out their passport information? That's number one, giving it to anybody. It's hard to take the leap that you're suddenly going on, getting on a plane on your first date. I mean, that screams human trafficking to me. Um, but I thought you were very kind. How are they, the two women that you feature? There, there's a question about one of them. Um, they, they don't seem to be naive. 
especially um, the one who calls herself just a friend. Penella. Penella. She seemed pretty savvy. Yeah. What it, and, and what do you mean by just a friend when it's implied that she flew off basically for a threesome? <laughs> Where is that implied? Well, she's like, we're just friends. And he invited me to go join him and his girlfriend. And there's pictures of them all uh, super no, no, cozy. No, no, no. That, that was not So she she was basically already in Mykonos and he had messaged her saying like, hey, what are you up to? She was there with a friend and she sort of said, oh, I'm here, you know, come join me. And then he joined her and then, you know, using other women's money, including Cecilia's, was basically paying for the, you know, just incredible experience there, you know. But, you know, Penilla handed over her passport details because he had, she lives in Stockholm in Sweden and he'd, I think, been traveling through there. And that's how they had matched on Tinder at first. So at first, yeah, she thought, oh, this could be, you know, a love interest for me. But he was living in Amsterdam. So he said, um, I really want to see you. Will you. Would you come and have dinner with me in Amsterdam? So that's how she gave him her passport details. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's the thing with her. She's she's not, I could, she's not stupid. No, no, none of them are. No, yeah. and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who bears some of the responsibility? I mean, he, Simon is back on Tinder. Yeah, who, uh, he's who, been thrown off Tinder now. He's, oh. been, he's been banished from the platform now. And, and the family whose name he co-opted are suing him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yet he's, he's suddenly everywhere. He's suddenly offering up to do appearances at clubs and has a manager and I'm sure a publicist. Yeah. What you have to understand about Simon is that he really is a master of his own PR and he always has been. So yes, there are lots of reports about him being offered nightclub appearances, but we haven't seen any yet. And there are lots of offers of him potentially doing TV shows and podcasts, but we haven't seen any of those yet. And we know from our own experience of Simon that he's a big fan of manifestation so even when we were making the film, yeah. he sent us articles telling us that Netflix were making a film, a series, no less, about his entrepreneurial life. And he sent that to us, knowing that we were actually in charge of making the film and that we would be deciding the content. So in terms of headlines about Simon and what he's doing next, I would take everything with a very, very large pinch of salt. Wait, so rewind for a second. That's insane. Yeah. So he oh, you were making a doc to basically expose him and he's helping you well no he was basically trying I think to sort of make us believe that he was a legitimate businessman that he'd made his money all of these articles sort of said that he'd made his money on bitcoin investing in property he even sent us a lawsuit that he had supposedly filed in Greece saying that the women were liars and were defaming him to basically try and muddy their characters I think in the hope that we would think, oh my goodness, look at all of this stuff. The story that we're telling is actually not true. Um, and, you know, we I, we messaged him back. We sent him a voice note saying, hi, Simon, this is all very interesting. Is, is this the film that we're making? You know, just sort of trying to double bluff him. But yeah, obviously none of that turned into anything. It, Netflix weren't paying him millions for his story. Um, you know, that was never offered him. I mean, he's still saying that now. 
basically any information that's coming from Simon's camp should basically be dismissed. Oh, people can't see this because it's a podcast. My mouth is literally hanging <laughs> all day. I was on my the whole way through. Did every morning when you op- when you went to check your email, where you're just like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen today?" Because it's, I mean, your heads must have exploded when he reached out. Yeah, I think that we, nothing really surprises us with him now, and I think that you know we never wanted him to be obviously the focus of the film. We never wanted the film to be a platform for him to sort of tell more of his lies. So, you know, we obviously wanted to give him the opportunity to speak if he wanted to um you know what what he would have said would probably have been you know what you're hearing from him now um but I think you know what's so incredible about what we had in the film was obviously just this vast archive of evidence of these messages that he had sent showing exactly how he'd done it that he had done it and then obviously his voice is in the film because he would always send voice notes so Simon is in the film. Simon's role in this story, in what happened to the women, is, is there. It's on display for everybody to see. You get a lot out of the women, and it, it becomes very intimate conversations. And I, I've asked other people who have done these kinds of interviews in, in documentaries, how'd you get them to tr- how did you get them to trust you? I mean, it's just uh, making the time for it, really. I mean, we spent... I don't know, five or six months talking to the girls before we got them on camera. And it was just helping them understand why we needed them to go into so much intimate detail and what the value of that was. So by the time we met them, you know, they'd already done a number of news interviews after the VG article had come out, but they were kind of very brief, kind of five minute synopsis of of what had happened. And, you know, we just gently explained to them that if the audience are going to understand you they need to they need to know you you need to be completely vulnerable you need to open up you need to be totally honest about how you were feeling and what your intentions were and they just they trusted us to tell their story for them I mean that sorry sorry no it's because it's it's like I said in the beginning it it, your heart breaks for them yeah yeah how are they they yeah how how are they doing now I think that they we're, we're actually meeting up with Cecilia and Penilla's in London. So we're going out for dinner with them this evening. I think that they, you know, have been totally overwhelmed by the response to the film. And, you know, generally speaking, there's obviously been people who have taken to Twitter who have still called them gold diggers, still called them naive. And, you know, they're very quick to say, like, look, if we read about this story in the news we would probably feel that too, but you just can't underestimate how good he is at what he does. And, you know, for them, I think obviously the financial consequences, particularly for Cecilia, who's still fighting, you know, the banks in Norway where she took out the loans, you know, that's one thing, but I think the emotional side of it, you know, Cecilia still mourns the relationship that was lost. Penilla still mourns the friendship that she lost and Eileen still as well so I think the psychological side of things will always be with them because you know here was a man that you know they all loved in different ways that they genuinely believed that they were going to settle down with you know the women are in their 30s they were ready to sort of get married have kids and he was promising them that and then you know not only was that sort of ripped out from under them but also he was nothing of who he said he was you know these women 
shared their lives with him, shared beds, you know, had slept with him. And he, you know, he, he wasn't who he said he was. He was, it was an act. It was, he faked the love. There, there's some side here. I mean, I'm asking you straight up questions of stuff that, that I'm dying to have a little more context on the business partner and the bodyguard. Were they, did he consider them equal partners in this? I mean, they, especially the bodyguard he played, was it Peter? Mm. He played some, he played, he did a lot of the heavy lifting in this. I think it's important to say that there's no evidence that Peter didn't think that he was genuinely working for Simon Levi, the son of Lev Levi. Um, there's it, there's possibilities the whole way along his story that he believed that what he was doing was necessary. So say, for example, in the scene in Amsterdam where they said, you know, there's been a security breach, you need to get out of Amsterdam. Now, Peter called Simon and said, you know, I've heard there's been a security breach, we need to get you out of there. We don't know that he didn't receive a phone call from somebody telling him that. So the thing is, we don't have clarity around those people. So we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't have any evidence suggesting that Peter wasn't just as victimised as everyone else. As far as he was concerned, and as far as we know, he was always acting like a bodyguard. I mean, he enjoyed a party, and we're not sure if that's the general bodyguard way of behaviour. But yeah. we can, we can't. Can In know. general, no. <laughs> well, we can't know for certain that he wasn't duped just as much as everyone else. What about the quote-unquote business partner, Avishai? Yeah, he is a childhood friend of Simon. So Simon, you know, has been. He was. Um, caught stealing yeah. uh, checks in Israel when, you know, at that point, Avishai was in his life. He went to prison in Finland. He'd used another name at that point. Avishai was in his life and actually we think had had paid some bail actually for him as well. So Avishai had definitely been present for Simon changing his identities. But again, you know, we can't say, you know, that, he was he was any part of the cons, any part of the swindles, but he was certainly present. What about the the baby mama? Well, she was one of Simon's victims, um, and we've we've spoken with her. So she was a victim in Finland originally. And so that, she, but at which point did she find out? She's sitting there on the private plane with the kid. Well, she knew in 2015 that he wasn't at that point for her he was calling himself Mordecai Tapiro or that's the the name he was using at that time and she certainly didn't know when she first met him that he was a con man by the time Cecilia met him she knew that he had been arrested and convicted of fraud and, and served time for that but her what she has told us is that she believed that he had turned over a new leaf it was important to him and to her that he spent time with their child and that the child had a father figure growing up so she says that at that point you know that weekend in London where she right. was playing apparently she saw lots of women coming through Simon's life that weekend and you know he was there were many many women that Simon romanced that he didn't con you know it was a numbers game for Simon so she knew that he was being a player but she didn't know for certain that he was still being a con man and what we also know is that Simon has behaved in a very intimidating way towards her as well and we see you know in the final act of the film when we play the voice notes that he sent to Eileen we can see how vicious Simon gets 
So you can totally understand how a traumatized victim would not want to bring that side of Simon upon herself, especially with a small child in their company. So, you know, there it, it's easy to kind of stand on the sidelines and say, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. But I think she was still deeply in a traumatized state at that point and was probably just trying to make it as smooth a weekend as possible and get her child back home. I mean, because you sit there and you're watching and you're like, this guy is good. Hmm. This guy is really good. <laughs> He's extremely controlling, Melissa. That's the thing. He controls everyone within his orbit. But so, to be able to do that, you, I mean, it, you, what you just said is fascinating. It was a numbers game. Yeah. Till he could hook one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it had to be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, we've often talked about, you know, how did he keep track of, you know, people's personal lives, people's, parents' names, where they were, what they did for jobs. You know, he was so unbelievably attentive with the girls. You know, he didn't miss anything, their birthdays, nothing. You know, Cecilia, for instance, on when she met up with him at one point, gave him this book, which was like a guide to being in a relationship with a Norwegian. A couple of months later, when she went to see him in Amsterdam, that book was on his bedside table. So he would remember that she'd given it to him and had placed it there. I mean, it was obviously a full-time job. He must have had to have, like, could you imagine the flow charts? I, you know. (laughs) How did you guys keep track of all this? Well, fortunately, their WhatsApps allowed us to kind of piece together this, you know, incredible timeline. And then, you know, when he was saying, oh, I'm in Berlin or I'm here, then we spoke to other victims and we were like, oh, my goodness, that's what he was doing in Berlin. You know, there was never a business meeting. The business was meeting women and trying to hook them in. So um, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, if he'd applied his um, his skills to an actual, you know, you know, kosher job, he would have been extremely successful. I, I was just having the same thought. He would be like a major CEO or something because it's yeah. Yeah. everything he can keep in his head is it, pretty amazing. What's interesting is also his mother wants nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Does he have any siblings? Yeah. Yeah. He's comes from a big family. And do they have any contact with him? Um, we, th- we, we reasonably he's in contact with a brother. Um, but again, we haven't spoken to them and we can't speak for them, but they're certainly aware of what he's been up to. How are these women going to recover financially? Do they have any recourse? Well, they're still trying. I mean, Cecilia is still, you know, going through the courts with the banks. Um, I mean, she's in sort of 250000 nearly $250,000 worth of debt, and it's going up and up and up because they're just such high interest loans. Right. So for her... She's filed for bankruptcy here in the, she lives here in the UK. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, I think for her, it's just an enormous burden that she's carrying. So while the success of the film obviously seems brilliant, the exposure of him and what he's been doing, you know, for the women, I think for them, the ultimate justice would be for him to be investigated by the police in the relevant countries and the countries where he's been, you know, committing these swindles. He's actually been out and about, like we talked about in the beginning. He has a girlfriend. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And who, I mean, what's her name? I have it written down. Kate, yeah, Kate Colin. I mean, don't you want to go and sit down with her? I mean, I think just as documentarians and people who are interested in these things, don't you want to just go up and say, what are you doing and why? 
I mean, or she is, but by the way, or she is he being now reverse engineered and he's dealing with someone who's going to capitalize off of him. Yeah. Well, we know that obviously Simon is, has, you know, uh, a way of bringing people round to sort of believing anything that he says. He's highly manipulative. She obviously, uh, you know, may have seen the film. She knows what he's being accused of. And she's been interviewed by the press in Israel. She's been asked about this and she said, you know, Simon is an absolute gentleman and I'm going to stand by my man. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really sad. I think I, I read in a, a Israeli newspaper the other day that her modelling agency has dropped her because they don't want to be representing somebody who is associated with a man like him. So, I, I yeah. I, I mean, the scales will fall from her eyes at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, we do. It's inexplicable to us. Yeah. <laughs> Would you ever go on a dating app after this, or let anyone you cared about go on a dating app after this? I mean, it's got nothing to do with the dating app. So really no, helps. but still, it's it's you know. I mean, but the thing is, what you have to remember is that Simon from you know from the kind of mid twenty teens was kind of meeting women online, and that's how he was doing it. But before that, he was doing it in real life, you know, and he was doing it, he was meeting people offline, he was meeting people in bars, he was meeting people through, you know, even when he was 20, like one of his first victims he met, one of his first female victims that we know of, he met while working alongside her in a, in a job in Cyprus. So it's not about online. I mean, there's always going to be a few bad apples online and most of us have met some of them. But we, I don't think the dating apps are too were you blown away by just how many women, like you just mentioned, he started this in his 20s, how many women he conned? I mean, it's obviously way in the double digits. What is it? What do you think that if you had to take an educated guess, what's do you think the the big number? I have no idea. I have no idea because it's not just women as well. You know, it's 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 men. It's you know, there's a rabbi who's spoken out and alleges that Simon, together with his father, um, you know, tried to swindle him. It, there was a family in New York that he took advantage of. So that for us has just blown our minds. And I think, you know, we always like to say it because at the end of the day, I think that there isn't, you know, people still are like, oh, it's a, it's a romance fraud and therefore they kind of belittle it. But, you know, this is a man who essentially, if he sees an opportunity, will go after it, regardless of who it is. Um, do, you, do you think he'll ever have criminal charges brought against him again? I was reading about the family that he claimed to be a part of are now going after him basically for defamation, although mm. under the Israeli law, it's slightly different. But for us, it would be fall under basically defamation. I mean, we certainly hope so. I mean, they say if you want to predict someone's future behavior, you look at their past behavior. And since he was a teenager, Simon has really only seems to have made money through committing fraud, committing crimes, stealing. I mean, it, we don't know if, you know, he's capable of rehabilitation, but it seems like he only has one way to operate. So, you know, eventually it's going to catch up with him. Do you think he cares if it catches up with him? Or do you think he's addicted to the attention at this point? Mm, that's a good question. I think that he 
cares he would care that if it can if it catches up with him you know he doesn't want to be in prison obviously um he wants to and has been saying you know that he's made his money on bitcoin since 2011 that's how he made his millions and he's got millions in the bank and you know that's what he wants the world you know he's been saying he wants to get into politics that's what he wants the world to see him as and I think, you know, the film speaks for itself. You know, if Simon had made money on Bitcoin and in property, then why, when he wasn't getting any money from the women, was he then living in a hostel and eating leftovers off people's plates in a shopping mall? Here's a man who says he has, you know, cash in the bank. Why was he doing that? It, 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 he is a fascinating, fascinating character. Are you going to keep following the story? Is there, are we going to have a part two? Man's to be seen. Let's see what you, happens next. We're certainly following the story. Yeah. Were you, were you ex- shocked by the amount of attention this has gotten? Because when you're deep in a project, and this took you a long time, how long, how long did it take to make this? About 18 months. Yeah. So you, when you're deep in it, and you almost have blinders on. Did you at all expect the the way this is blown up? No, I mean we we knew we we, we believed it would be popular. We believed that it would tap into a zeitgeist. Um, we certainly hoped it would be successful, but we never even dreamed. We didn't, yeah, you know, we it didn't even enter our thoughts that it would be the huge global success that it has been. I was going to say kind of a, kind of a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not going to complain about that. What are you guys doing next? What's your, what's your next venture? We, you know, loved working together on this and would like to work together on something else. We've had, you know, people get in touch with us with stories since the film came out, which has been amazing. Um, so we're looking into some of those at the moment. Um, yeah, we've got a, a few stories that we're uh, just starting to kind of get get into at the moment. So, yeah. Well, I, I cannot wait to see what you guys do next or part two of the Tinder Swindler. Felicity <laughs> <laughs> words, Bernadette Higgins. First of all, thank you for making such an entertaining documentary. Thank, thank you. you for exposing him and thank you for joining me. Thanks, thank Melissa. you. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, so before I let you go, where can people find out more information? Because this, you guys have, are not leaving well enough alone on this. <laughs> um, well, actually, during the course of researching the film, we found out a lot of extra information about Simon and what he'd been up to before he met any of the characters in our film. So that led to us making a companion podcast called The Making of a Swindler, <laughs> which is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. What what red flags would you tell people to look out for? I mean, I feel like you're almost in the opera to have the opportunity to do a public service announcement. <laughs> I think, the, you know, the big thing that we, you know, learned was that if you enter a new relationship and it's almost like too good to be true. The, the love bombing that happened with, you know, with all of the women that we've spoken to, I think is a red flag. You know, he he seeped himself into every part of their lives so that they almost 
you know, couldn't come up for air. You know, he he bombed them with love. And I think that, you know, that's proven and that is known by psychologists to be a tactic of men and people like him. So I think that that's yeah. the main red flag, really. But other than that, he it was a, per, a seemingly perfect relationship. Um, and, you know, when it turned, when things got nasty, it was just too late by that point for them to get out. Well, amazing job. So entertaining. If people have not seen the Tinder swindler, they need to go. I am actually going to go listen to the podcast because oh, I have become like obsessed. Felicity and Bernadette, thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. 